Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Tim Lucas, who is a pastor and author. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Bronick, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. It's great to have you. If you're a long-time listener, thanks so much for tuning back in. In today's conversation, I speak with Tim Lucas, who is a pastor of Liquid Church in New Jersey and also an author of his latest book, Liquid Church, Six Powerful Currents to Saturate Your City for Christ. I'm really excited for this conversation today. Tim explains the origins of Liquid Church, uh, a bit more into his backstory of how he got involved in ministry, which uh, was birthed accidentally, as he puts it, and has since grown um, to now uh, reaching thousands in attendance um, through seven campuses. In this conversation, we speak about his book, um, what he's been seeing, and what uh, people are, are really some trends uh, that, that he's found uh, in, in partnership with Warren Bird, um, looking at people who, are, um, who have given up on church, but who have not given up on God, and um, the, the, the way that the methods and the way that he is um, reaching these people is fascinating. His acronym LIQUID um, stems from a passage in Ezekiel, a metaphor, um, and he breaks down the six different currents um, for how he thinks about saturating the city. I'm really excited for this conversation and know that you will enjoy it, um, whoever you are, uh, whether you're uh, involved in church ministry, whether you're a leader, uh Maybe you're dipping into both, whatever that might be, whoever you are today, know that this conversation will be beneficial. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Pastor Tim Lucas. Tim, thanks so much for joining me and the Guys Like Us podcast today. Tyler, greetings from New York City, bro. Now, don't tell me you're a Boston Red Sox fan. I'm I'm a I'm a bandwagon Red Sox fan, so I, I'm not one of the I'm not a diehard uh, Red Sox fan. So I I'll, I'll I'll cut I'll cut you a break. I, I'm sure you're are you a big Yankees fan or yet Mets fan. <laughs> of course, yeah. This podcast is over. I mean, we can't even have a, a passing allegiance to the, the the Satanic Red Sox. No, I just kidding. Oh, man. We're, oh yeah. It's it's great here. Uh, great to be together, dude. We're just having some fun. We have a we have yeah. a, a fun church. We're right outside of, of New York City. Uh, we have seven locations in New Jersey, but yeah, most people are identify with uh, New York and our, our Yankees mm. Giants fans. Mm, mm, awesome, yeah. Just just a short train ride. I'm I'm up in Boston right now, so three four hour train ride, and I'm 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 down in your neck of the woods. I uh, I used to I used to not be a big fan of the, of the big city, but now uh, as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate uh, all all the different boroughs, Brooklyn, Queens, and. Uh, and Manhattan. I, have, I haven't ventured out to Staten Island yet, so we'll see if that's uh, maybe somewhere down the down down in the future. Um, well, yeah, it's funny. I actually love Boston. I, I joke about it, but Boston is an awesome town. I just love the history. I was up there with my daughter. She's mm-hmm. like at colleges, and I was like, man, this is not as overwhelming as New York. 
Mm. And uh, my wife was like, yeah, there's about, you know, 13 million less people. <laughs> I was like, well, that's also why it's cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's Great right. Great town. Great town. That's right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so first off, congrats on your latest book, Liquid Church, Six Powerful Currents to Saturate Your City for Christ. Um, how's, how has it been the past few months? Uh, tell me a bit more about kind of the origins of, the, of this book as well. Oh yeah, well, it's been it's been a thrill. You know, um, it's funny because people say, "Well, I haven't been playing this book for a long time." Well, I'm the accidental pastor. I didn't even plan to plan a church. God kind of tricked me into it. You know, um, you know. First off, just clarify, right? When people hear the name Liquid Church, I think they assume we're either a cult <laughs> or a drinking fraternity. And uh, you know, we named it Liquid for a simple reason. In, in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls himself the Living Water. So we feel like church should be refreshing. Uh, unfortunately, as you know, Tyler, mm. I, it's not how people typically describe church mm. in the Northeast. Um, in many ways, you know, we minister in a very post-Christian culture. Um, religion is viewed with suspicion, if not outright hostility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, I think people are suspicious. They're just very cynical in this area where they, well, the church is known for sex scandals or its financial improprieties or all sorts of you know reasons uh, where we give Jesus a black eye, but mm. we said, you know, could we have a could we have a church that uh, you know really took the best of our traditions? Now, I grew up. It's kind of funny. I talk about it in the book um, mm. in a small, uh, you know, Bible church about 125 people. Mm. Fantastic theology and teaching on Sundays, but a little bit emotionally sterile. Uh, not a lot of creativity or expression. Mm. And so, you know, I, I lovingly, it's my family, I'm grateful for it, but mm. I lovingly refer to them as the frozen chosen. <laughs> you know, to sit, you know, when you're 15 years old, it's like, man, put on a suit and tie, stand up, sit down, what you want to <laughs> give your life to? Yeah. And so I kind of, you know, dialed out of it in my headspace when I was around 15. But mm-hmm. in college, I met my wife, Colleen. We went out to Wheaton College in Chicago. And had a great experience there. But when I met her, uh, she had grown up the opposite. If we were the frozen chosen, she grew up happy clappy. <laughs> you know, she grew up in a Pentecostal storefront church in mm. the Bronx. Mm. And it was the exact opposite. I'd visit on Thanksgiving break, you know, two and a half hours, you know, and in all sorts of color and music. And there were spontaneous baptisms and people walking in off the street getting saved. I'm like, what is this? But it was intriguing to me because it was like, mm. wow, it kind of traveled that 18 inches from my head to my heart. And I saw, man, the gospel really can change lives. So I always mm. like to say Liquid was kind of birthed out of those two streams crossing. So we're mm. a non-denominational Christian church, which simply means, hey, anybody can come. You know, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Jedi Knight, everyone's welcome at Liquid. But in many ways, uh, people are like, well, describe it. I'm like, well, it's kind of like Baptocosta. Definitely. We're open to the Holy Spirit, but we got a seatbelt. So <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. It's been a fun ride. That's awesome. Well, thanks for, for sharing a bit more of the backstory of, of, of Liquid Church as well. And I'm glad to hear that it is not, in fact, a cult. Um, again, our po- I, think our, I think our podcast would have ended a little bit early if I, if I, had, if I heard that shocking news. So. Um, but hey, so can you, can you tell me what Liquid stands for? I know that you have an acronym in your book. Is, is that kind yeah. of, is, is that, was that the origin of Liquid as well? Uh, out yeah, of, no, yeah. The, the book itself is actually based on Ezekiel 47, this, this Old Testament prophecy, which is one of those passages, I think, you know, 
you're a casual reader of the Bible, it's one of those that makes you scratch your head and say, I don't really know what that is. And I remember reading it, you know, in seminary and saying, I'm not quite sure what that means, but it's a beautiful picture. Uh, Ezekiel basically has this vision of the Old Testament temple with water leaking out of it. So, you know, there's the, the church basically, and there's liquid flowing out. So here's the liquid church. But what's interesting is this this what starts as a tiny trickle gets into this kind of turns into this raging river the farther it goes from the church and that was interesting to me because this kind of represents the flowing out of the church and so ezekiel is actually led on a little tour by an angel in ezekiel 47 first 12 verses Mm. and he goes a little bit and the water is up to his ankles he goes another 1700 feet and the water's up to his knees another 1700 feet and it's up to his waist so ankles knees and waste Hmm. until finally he's up to his neck and it's, you know, sink or swim or be swept away. But that to me was a picture of the need for the church really to get out of our seats into the streets, out of the church to reach spiritually thirsty people for Christ. Hmm. And notice that the farther the river goes, the deeper it flows. So I think people in church today are always like, oh, I want to go deeper. Well, according to scripture, if you want to go deeper, you've got to get out of your seats into the streets and go reach lost and thirsty people. Mm. Wow. So uh, can you tell me a bit more about your story and kind of the, the origin of Liquid Church? Um, I know that it started, from my understanding, as a small group of people, and as you said, it was accidental. Um, and when you're kind of thinking about the, the, the people that you were looking to engage both the head and the heart and thinking about how we can kind of, I guess, the, the, the evolution and how this became uh, such an established church to where it is now. What were you seeing when you said, okay, let's, you know, some people are getting together. What were you seeing of the needs of people in New York City, which as we discussed is, I think, fairly similar. People have, uh, there's been a lot of uh, revivals and a lot of, uh, a lot of history, church history in, in the Northeast in particular. So people are, are quite familiar with a lot that's been going on, but are skeptical for different reasons um, like some of the ones that you mentioned, how did kind of all the bigger understandings of kind of the dynamics of the city um, play into and start to kind of catalyze the the church uh, that that has mm-hmm. just grown? Um, I, I and by way, I know you've done some research with Warren Bird as well on kind of some right. some statistics of what you've been seeing with just Christianity across the country and. You know, or, or, and just with yeah. this generation is, in, I think, with millennial and unchurched generations in particular. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, here in the Northeast, we try to remind our people that really in the 1700s and the 1800s, um, this is where the wells of revival first really bubbled up. Uh, you know, a lot of the Great Awakenings began here, and Francis Asbury and George Whitfield preached, you know, mm-hmm. actually, Basking Ridge, where liquid was birthed out of. So, um, at the same time, it's such a far, you know, the vestiges of Christianity are so far out of people's minds. Like it wouldn't even occur to people to ask, hey, where do you go to church? And now that might be in some other areas of the country. But I think you see this rapid secularization. Hmm. Um, at the same time, what we do in the book is Dr. Bird and I define spiritually thirsty people as those who have given up on church as we knew it. But they haven't necessarily given up on God. Hmm. And so I think in a lot of ways you have – you know, people are wringing their hands, and we see the headlines, the demise of Christianity, or more specifically, 
um, hey, the millennials are leaving the church in droves. Well, that's not necessarily true. I, I don't think it's so much they're the spiritually nuns, uh, N-O-N-E-S, right, on a religious survey, or Christian, Jewish, none of the, nope, none of the above. What we're seeing is that spiritual duns, they're done with traditional church as it's been expressed for the last mm. 40 years. But they're looking for a fresh, revitalizing expression of true faith. Mm. And for us, we're like, we're always telling people, because we have a lot of our, you know, folks who grew up Catholic in our area, probably very similar to Boston. Um, it was as much as your ethnicity, or I was, you know, I'm Irish and, you know, uh, a Catholic or Italian and Catholic, and, and no aspersions on our Catholic brothers and sisters, but we had a lot of people around here who really grew tired of a little bit more of the institution, mm. and, they, and, they're, and they're interested in, what does this mean to have a relationship with Christ? Well, for us, what we identify in the book, and this is in churches of every shape and size and denomination, mm. is that there are six what we call currents. Think about Ezekiel's river. A river is really a collection of currents flowing in a certain direction. But there's six currents that we see the Holy Spirit uniquely seeming to bless or put his hand on to reach this next generation of young adults. Hmm. Um, you can probably tell from the book, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of millennials and Gen hmm. Z. Um, I actually, I, millennials are the justice generation. They're world changers. But the way that we go about engaging the print then such as we have for the last 50 years. So, for example, um, in the book, I talk a little bit about how I grew up and it was kind of discipleship had a linear pathway, first, second, third base, right? You come to Christ and you join a church, become a member, take some Bible studies, and maybe you're a home run disciple, you can go on a missions trip. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing is millennials want to slide head first in the third base. <laughs> they say, I don't know if I want to come to your Sunday morning service, but I'm interested in going to Rwanda on a clean water trip to bring clean drinking water to kids in, in East Africa. And uh, again, when I grew up, that would have been like the cherry on top, like the culmination of all this discipleship. But we're finding that the next generation really wants to kick the tires of Christianity in a relational way. They want to belong before they believe. And so, you know, the liquid metaphor you asked earlier, what does it stand for? L-I-Q-U-I-D. Mm. And those are really the six currents that we see God blessing in churches all across the nation. Mm. Uh, not here on the East Coast, but we're talking the Pacific Northwest, Midwest, small churches, rural, large cities. Um, so L-I-Q-U-I-D, just I'll give you an overview. We can dive into any of these. Mm -hmm. um, but love the overlooked. Um, again, millennials are the justice generation. And so our fastest growing ministry is to children and families with special needs. Um, I is ignite the imagination. What we're finding is that proclaiming the gospel requires a new approach to preaching. We talk about that. My background, it's funny, I'm uniquely uh, wired because, again, I went to Wheaton but had no interest in being a pastor. So I wasn't like training for seminary. I was actually an English major. So my background is in story, and then my minor concentration is in film. So it's in the world of images and cinema, mm -hmm. and that storytelling power now is so necessary if you're going to communicate the gospel in what I, I call a TGIF world, mm. Twitter, Google, Instagram, and Facebook. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I got a couple of screenagers myself, and uh, you know, it's, it, they're yeah. just glued to yeah. the screens, and rather than fight that, like, this is now, this is happening. Screens are just the new stained glass, you know? in the church, and so how can we leverage mm. them in redemptive ways without watering down the message? Uh, so that's, I think, a key thing. I think 
you know, some people hear, mm. you know, liquid church has a fluid approach to faith. It must mean they're watering down the gospel. Mm. But the best way to picture it is we say we're closed-handed about the message. That is, the gospel never changes. Mm. But we're open-handed about the methods. We always, like Jesus said, have to find new wineskins mm. to carry the new wine of the gospel to speak that language of a generation that connects with them, their, their heart and mind. So I'll stop there, but those are ex- two examples of the currents that we see growing churches that are engaging millennials and Gen Z um, really leveraging for the gospel. Yeah, no, awesome, awesome. And um, I just want to dive into a few of them. So going back to your background in in um, in English and film and just kind of this more of this creative branch, uh, I'd call yeah. it, and able to engage through storytelling and using different, you know, forms of persuasion and just like style and just being able to kind of play around and, and have fun with the, the method of how something is delivered, not changing the, 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 the kind of the bread and butter, but, but are, are able to be more flexible on, or not being more flexible, but are, are rather to adapt and are able to reach, um, through a new wineskin, as you mentioned, what are, can you walk us through your creative process and kind of for pastors, maybe for pastors out there, or maybe not, but folks, just so we can kind of get a sneak peek into how you're thinking about uh, that process when you, when you go into preaching. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of misunderstand that in the, in the sense of they think, oh, so you're talking about, you know, using movie clips or props to keep people's attention. Now, it's true today, people have the attention span of a bumblebee, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. But I'm actually not advocating for shorter sermons. Uh, in fact, I speak typically on a Sunday about 50, 51 minutes uh, sometimes on a Sunday. But it's all about engagement. Are you engaging the congregation, the audience, in a dynamic way where it's not the traditional, well, here's the speaker who's, hold forth, who's holding forth on a theological topic. Mm. Think of it this way. In the book, I talk about the difference between a megaphone and a telephone. For the last 500 years of Protestant preaching, we've been using a megaphone. It's a one-way amplifier. I'm the expert, here's my voice, and I'm gonna amplify that and teach you something. And it's kind of a uh, you know, college lecture format. Well, let's be real, in an age of you know, TGIF, hmm. a telephone is the language of social media. I call, you respond. Hmm. You post something, I tweet it out. You give me a clap back. And so it's all about engagement with the audience and really approximating more of a dialogue mm. than a monologue. Mm. Now, at the same time, you know, we're reaching to thousands of people here, and it is very much a, an audience. It's not like there's an open mic and just ask questions. That's not what I'm talking mm. about. Mm. But we go, our, our creative team works very, very hard, and I want to encourage those of you know, your audience who are communicators or creatives. They're doing the most important work, I think, um, and really seeding the gospel for the next generation. Um, you know, I talk in the book a little bit about brain chemistry. You know, you have that classic kind of right brain, left brain stereotypes. Well, right brain people are the creative, colorful types, and mm. left brain are the linear, logical, analytical. But we're really a lot more whole brain, I think, than people give us credit for. You know, going to Wheaton College, you know, as an English major, well, I had to write analytical expository essays, you know, line by line. And I'd quote C.S. Lewis, you know, and but C.S. Lewis is a good example of a whole brain communicator. Here's a guy who wrote some of the, the most incredible apologetics of the 21st century. And at the same time, 
He used his right hemisphere that invented the world of Narnia hmm. and used story and fantasy to actually engage people. And so if you look, I just realized, you know what, this is more of Jesus's style. Jesus was a master of metaphors. Hmm. Uh, his sermons weren't actually off very long. Sermon amount takes about 12 minutes to read. But he'll use a dozen illustrations and analogies. Have you considered the lilies of the field? Look at the birds of the air. See these fish in a net? It's like seeds on the ground. It's like hard soil, soft soil. He's always using illustrations from everyday life. And I think that's intentional. Because what we find is story goes in the back door of somebody's heart. It's not just propositional truth, but it almost tills the soil of a harder heart. So you can plant the seeds of the gospel, the spiritual truth in there. So we're very much bold preaching and proclamation, uh, but as I talk about mm -hmm. in the book, it's really trying to use that creative um, edge to mm -hmm. earn a fresh hearing for the story of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So quick example of that would be, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was preaching on the parable of the prodigal son, mm -hmm. and that's a story everybody knows, right? Like even like if people who aren't really church, they have a vague idea about that one. You know, the son, yeah, I think he offends his dad and then he takes his money and goes to Vegas and blows it on strippers, right? That, that's kind of how people yeah. vaguely remember because yeah. it's a powerful story. Mm. But of course, the big twist is when he returns home, everybody's expecting the kid to get punished and the dad throws a party, which is a picture of, you know, the father's heart for mm. his lost children. Mm. And so I was like, man, how do we do this, guys? How do we bring that ancient text to life when it's a basically like a joke that everybody's heard and everyone knows the punchline. Mm -hmm. And so as we kind of marinated on that text, we realized, man, the father throws this lavish party. He says, kill the fatted calf, you know, which mm. was basically like, we're having a backyard barbecue, man, bring all the neighbors. So in the middle of the message, I'm getting to this point. I'm like, can you guys capture this? This is the joy. Heaven throws a party when a lost son or daughter return home. And at that very moment, uh, <laughs> the doors of our, of our auditoriums burst open and in come our pastors and Krispy Kreme donut hots. And we ordered, you know, 5,000 Krispy Kreme donuts because I was like, we can't bring a fatty cap on stage, but what would be the equivalent of something fat and decadent and luxurious that says party, man? And so all of a sudden, the sanctuary fills with the smell of Krispy Kreme donuts and we're throwing them out into the congregation. And people are like, what is going on? Mm. Well, it's interesting. I was like, can you imagine? This is what happens in heaven. When one sinner repents, one person comes home. And I had a woman come up to me, June Bergala. She's 73 years old because we don't just have millennials and young adults. We have uh -huh. some wonderful spiritual fathers and mothers. And that's an important thing for a healthy church to have all generations. Hmm. And she said, Pastor Tim, I'm 73. I've heard a dozen messages on the power of the prodigal son. But I never felt the father's mm. joy of what it means when someone comes to Christ for the first time and she said, I hope we have enough donuts for all the people who are going to come to Christ. And, you know, she mm, put on a Krispy mm. Kreme donut hat and helped serve it at the next service. It was mm. in many ways what we're trying to do is, again, it's Jesus says new wine needs new wineskins. Mm. You can't have the same old, same old. You know, again, when I grew up, I grew up in kind of a Baptist environment. And those three points either started with the same letter, uh, alliteration, or they spelled something. <laughs> And it was kind of this very much a left-brained, just analytical, propositional approach to the gospel. Mm. But I think God is raising up a new generation of whole-brained communicators who are really firing up that right hemisphere that says, can we use color and story and video and social media, all these gifts, to tell the old, old story in a fresh new way? Wow.
Wow, super powerful. And I, I've never th- kind of thought about the the way that you can use the senses and kind of sensory type uh, approaches to engaging or uh, kind of getting underneath the layer and are able to kind of connect with something that uh, in a new way. And I, I was just like, as you were describing that, giving that uh, the Krispy Kreme example, I said, you know what? I could really use a Krispy Kreme donut right now too. I uh, we we used to we used to have one in Massachusetts, but they actually they it went out of business. So there there's there's no more. The closest one is closest one is in I think Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, um, or maybe even New York City. Um, so it's wow. um, yeah. So I might have to. Uh, I don't know if you can create that maybe through an online message, but uh, hopefully I, hopefully I can get that. But but anyway, so you you spoke on the left and right brain, um, the, the importance of really of using them both, uh, of thinking yeah. about how we can use that not only for uh, as you mentioned for you know for preaching preaching, but I, I was recently reading an article on like entrepreneurship and on leadership, and right rather on leadership and the importance of of using both the left and the right brain. Um, for, you know, it was looking at some of the top leaders and was able to identify uh, how they're leveraging both the left side and the right side of their brain. And, and essentially it said that it's super important that they're able to have these creative juices and are able to uh, to to operate in that space, but are also kind of going back and have, have, have a framework, have a category to make it digestible and are able to... Uh, have that have that function as well um i don't know if that's something that you've been that has been part of the the leadership or how you're thinking about leadership but i know leadership is obviously a huge component of what you're doing right now at liquid church why is why has leadership been uh why is that such a focus for for your church and what are you seeing kind of with the the where i guess the future of leadership well, you know, we're really in the people development business. That, that's right. what discipleship is. And I think, again, I grew up where it was more, the pastor role was more of, I think, a um, clerical congregational care role, where it was simply just about, hey, this is the flock who God's entrusted to you. And that's so important. That's the number one job of pastoring, right, is shepherding. But what we're trying to do is encourage people to also think like a rancher. <laughs> a shepherd may carry the one lamb close to their heart, but a rancher, hey, I've got to oversee the whole flock, and I actually got to get up on the balcony to see off in the distance, you know, what the opportunities are, where the green pastures mm. are, where the wolves are. And so what we find is, you know, there's there has been traditionally a dearth kind of of that cultivating the leadership gift in the church. Now, you and I are living now in a generation where, man, it seems like there's a new leadership podcast <laughs> every other day, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh so at this point, it's not so much about, like, do we need more information? But we need actually people to curate that content to help it make sense of people's spiritual journeys. Mm. So, you know, what we found is we're doing a lot with multi-generational mentoring. Mm. You know, although I mentioned that this is the first time in history that we have five generations in the church at the same time. Mm. We've got builders and boomers. I'm Gen X, so I kind of translate them for the... Um, you know, the millennials and my kids, Gen Z. Mm. But five generations, what I think is sad is when we kind of ghettoize the generations. Well, that's kind of the older church, and Mm. this is a new young church plant. And so we've actually seen the majority growth happen leadership-wise when we unite the generations. 
um, two of our campuses. So we're a multi-site church. Mm. So we have seven locations kind of all around New Jersey, and they're all very different. But one of our fastest-growing campuses was actually a revitalization of a historic church that uh, it was 191 years old. Mm. Uh, so imagine that, right? Birth in the 1800s. And when they called us, they said, "Would we could we ever consider them to become a campus of Liquid Church?" We said that we had never heard of the church. It's called Mountainside Gospel Chapel, historic church. And they said, "We have a heart to pass the baton to the next generation." And so when they had called us, they had dwindled down to 27 seniors, mm. uh, mostly in their 60s and 70s. Very. That's a that's a story that is playing out all across our nation right now. 3,500 churches closed their doors every single year. So it's like, think about that. That's mind-boggling, the numbers mm-hmm. of it. Well, sadly, in our area, when that happens, guess what happens to that, that property? It gets turned into condominiums, you know, a bagel shop or, you know, Snooky's Tanning Salon here in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that, right. that spiritual right. legacy is lost forever. So we said, well, we have, a, we have a heart. We love the previous generation. In fact, as a young church, the number of requests we get from millennials, are, is there anyone who can mentor me? Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out my career, my calling. Is there someone who has some miles on the odometer, has walked with Jesus? I, I'm newly married or I'm thinking about getting married, but man, I didn't come from an intact home. Is there some married couple who can walk with us? Mm. And so what God did there is pretty remarkable, Tyler. Um, mm. You know, just so humbling. that Those 27 seniors, when we got together with their board and, and our team, uh, they said, we feel like this is a match that, that God made in heaven. They're like, mm. we... We have all the, we have property and we have assets and we have a rich legacy, um, but we have no people and no momentum. You have people momentum, but we're a startup church, right? We got like, you know, gaff tape and a couple of flat screen TVs. Mm. <laughs> we have no, we're portable for 10 mm. years of our church's life. And so in 30 wow. days, can you imagine this? What, what, do you, what happens in 30 days in a church? You can't vote on the color of the carpet. But those seniors led a process by which they actually voted unanimously to donate their church, their parsonage, their property, mm. assets, missionaries to Liquid Church. And uh, we were about six years old at the time. Wow. And they donated all of it over to us, about you know $4 million of assets, and said, can we rebirth this as a brand new campus of Liquid? Kind of following Jesus's life cycle, right? Of, mm. of birth and then actually death, voluntary death with the purposes of resurrection. Hmm. And so it was the coolest thing. If you can get imagine this, there's an older man named Bob, about 79 years old, um, and he's scraping paint off the old church alongside a tattooed millennial named Greg who's got you know, a sleeve of tattoos in his 20s, and they're working hmm. together. Well, we did that over the course of a year, and when we rebirthed the church at the grand opening, we had over 1,000 people, wow. uh, families, young adults, children, and it became the fastest growing campus in the history of our church. Mm. So when I think about leadership, I think it's a multi-generational conversation. Mm. It's not just, oh, the millennials are passionate about leadership. Well, they're desperate for spiritual fathers and mothers who will take the time mm. to invest in them. Mm. And at the same time, think about those senior saints and the incredible kingdom heart they have, right? To, mm. to say, man, I, I want to pass the baton that I'm okay uh, the music I don't like anymore, and we're going to, you know, the stained glass are going to become TV screens. But as long as we're passing on the gospel, mm. I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone. You know, so they're my, they're my, they're my heroes, Tyler. I'm like, that's yeah. who I want to be when I grow up. That's awesome. And I, I think that, that those relationships are super important. And 
um, something that a lot of us haven't had and are, are yearning for as well, um, but is so necessary. Um, and, and passing the baton, as you said, and, and just being able to, for, for it to also be, you know, a, a real teaching relationship, mentor relationship. Um, and I also love that campus has been, a lot of people have in this area have grown up in maybe a mainline denomination or in a Catholic church, and they're familiar with the location. They're like, hey, you know, this is the church that we went to for a few years when I was, you know, when I, when I was, you know, middle school or whatever. And, but obviously I fell away from it, but Hey, yeah. there's something new here, um, that I can, uh, maybe I can, I can take a step back in and it is a, an easier entrance point, uh, to meet people in that space. And I think, I think to use their gifts in a way that they can't maybe perhaps even in the marketplace, right. You know, again, I, I, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a big, big champion of creativity in the church. Right. And it's funny, the fastest growing, you know, and a lot of, and this works in churches of any shape and size. I want to encourage people because mm. I think they think, you know, it's easy to dismiss like, oh, that's a mega church. It'd be great to have graphic designers and video makers. But we started with just me, bro, making crappy PowerPoint slides, <laughs> you know, yeah. Comic Sans font. <laughs> and, uh, and so we have a staff, but here's the key thing is one out of every three of our staff are what's called volunteer staff. That means they're gainfully employed in the marketplace in some way. They may be a graphic designer. They may be a photographer. We have guys who work in the record industry in New York. But they raise their hand and said, I'm going to tie back my time to the church. Because I'm going to give you 10 to 15 hours a week. My video skills or my uh, you know, leadership skills. Um, and I'm going to tie that back to the church. Now, for us, that's 500 hours a week of free volunteer leadership horsepower. Mm -hmm. These are high capacity leaders. Mm. So it's a little bit about raising the bar in the church, not just saying like, hey, yeah, of course there's an you know, entry level Sunday ministry. Of course we need people to be on our parking team or um, mm. you know, handing out programs. Those are all vital ministry roles, hospitality. Mm. But there are people who are sitting in your pews right now who are untapped. Their talents are warehoused on the shelf Mm. And God gifted them in a unique way. So for us, people are always like, man, you guys always have such amazing visuals and your photography on mm -hmm. your website. Well, that's all volunteer. We have a volunteer team of 12 different photographers who they say we're going to tie their artistic gifts back to the church. So that's mm -hmm. not money, but actually the talents God's given us. Mm. And so I think a lot of churches assume they, they're kind of bottlenecked because they think in the traditional box. Well, you know, do they go to seminary? Or can we get a part-time staff person to do it? Your people are are ready to be asked. They're mm -hmm. waiting to be asked. But it really takes leadership to develop them as full disciples, not just their creative gifts. So mm -hmm. for us, that's why leadership is so important. It's really about developing untapped talent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And um, I, I know that we've covered a few of the different uh, points of your book. And I, I want to leave a lot more for readers to, to grab, a cop, grab a copy. Um, and so for, for folks who have listened all the way through the podcast and have, have a, have this book already in their Amazon shopping cart and are, uh, are, are looking to, to read it when they get home, but, um, but want to get started now and want to just, you know, or want some practical ways that they can saturate their city for Christ. What, what, what are a few things that, that, that listeners should be taking away? Sure. I think, you know, start where you are, first off. You know, again, I think people sometimes think, uh, well, you know, I'm in a hard part of the country. Bro, New Jersey, people like 
would send me a conference as new. I didn't know there were Christians in New Jersey. <laughs> and I was like, well, there are now, bro. <laughs> in, in a good way. We're just like, we're so glad God planted us here. Mm. You know, people are like, well, isn't, isn't the East Coast, you know, Boston and New England, isn't that a graveyard for churches? Mm. Well, if you want to be, if you want to witness a resurrection, you got to be in a graveyard. And so I think God is actually positioning us for revival in our mm. generation. Like what we see to me is deeply encouraging. I'm just not a pessimist. I don't, I, I don't think like, um, you know, our worst, you know, well, you know, the glory days. I think the best days of the church are to come. Mm. Even if we're not necessarily a majority voice or perspective held by mainstream culture, well, guess what? That's a recipe for flourishing in the gospel. Hmm. Uh, by no means are we a persecuted church like our brothers and sisters globally, but it really is, if you look in the New Testament, it's persecution that mushrooms the church, that causes hmm. it to proliferate. Because I think you have to get back to the, the core gospel that we're close-handed about and say, man, do I really believe this? I'm willing to give everything for it. So hmm. I'm, I'm very bullish on young adults, millennials, hmm. 20s, 30s. Uh, we're just seeing they actually don't want you to lower the bar. It's when we raise the bar and call them all in. Give yourself for a cause that's bigger than you, that they're willing to give their time, their talents, and their treasure uh, to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm excited about it. And again, the book um, Liquid Church is not just about liquid. Just want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Bird and I researched. Uh, we have about, uh, I think, three dozen churches in the book that we profile all across the nation. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example uh, of one. There's uh, uh, the church at in Oklahoma. They have a few locations, but they had a heart, I'll give you that example, hmm. for um, getting kids out of the foster care shelter system. So wherever you are, there's there's a need. Uh, you know, For us here in New Jersey, special needs. We have the highest rate of autism in the nation. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's a growing area, and it's our main area of compassion cause. But this church in Oklahoma said, for us, it's children who are kind of abandoned to the foster care shelter system. So they had a, a vision to say, what if we emptied that out? What if we took God's, you know, you know, command to say, hey, mm. I've adopted you into the family. Guess what? Close the foster care shelter system in one of the cities where they have churches, which was incredible to me. Like, who would want to be part of that kind of winsome witness? Mm. So I, I think the more that we not only proclaim the gospel in word, but demonstrate it in deed. That's how you saturate a city, especially one that maybe is more cynical or traditionally skeptical, resistant to the gospel. When you show the no-strings-attached compassion of Christ on behalf of the poor and marginalized, that's when even cynics sit up and take notice, hmm. and it creates a hearing for the gospel. Awesome. Um, well, Pastor Tim, it's been a real joy having you on the Guys Like Us podcast today, and um, I'm really grateful for uh, the work that you're doing and, and this book as well. Um, where can where can folks find you, find the book, uh, just kind of stay up to date with all that you're doing? Sure. So there's a special website we created. There's some free uh, resources and downloads there. Um, the address is liquidchurchbook.com. Mm. And uh, we put some study guides there. I know some uh, you know pastors who are taking their staff through it or their volunteer team. It seems to be a very helpful kind of leadership tool. Mm. Uh, along with just some other free downloads there that would be of interest to people um, and videos. So that's liquidchurchbook.com. Mm -hmm. But then uh, personally, I love to talk with other leaders, especially uh, online. Uh, so they can find me pretty easy on Instagram. Uh, I'm on the gram because that's where my kids are. <laughs> my, my screen agents, that's where they spend their time. So guess what? I'm going to be there. So my handle Stop. is at Pastor Tim 
Lucas, L-U-C-A-S, Pastor Tim Lucas. Uh, you can find me there. DM me and hit me up. I'd love to connect with other like-minded leaders. Love it. Thanks so much, Tim. Awesome. Great to be with you, Tyler. Thanks, man.